Jesus now is going to turn his attention here in our uh, 33rd installment of Simply the Savior. Hard, hard to imagine. We're getting well, well along in the life of Jesus. We're continuing in the Sermon on the Mount, and really this is our 17th study in the Sermon on the Mount. And so as Jesus continues, he's now picking up the theme, he's making, picking up the concept, and he, as he's done throughout the teachings and the parables, he, he now turns his attention to really an illustration. He's given these negative examples, don't be a hypocrite in these things. Make sure that if you fast, you do that right, make sure you're giving the way it should be. You know, make sure that your life in no way, shape, or form bears any hypocrisy. And now he's going to turn his attention to something that's so important for us during the Christmas season. Because there's very few things that capture the hearts and the minds and the imaginations uh, of Americans like material things. If you don't believe that, you know, you, you can travel to, you know, and again, I'm not picking on any particular store, but if you go to Costco or you go to Sam's or you go to Lowe's or Home Depot and you, you realize how much stuff is in there that is directly pointed at uh, the Christmas shopping season. We are a very material, things-oriented society. And it was not uh, completely foreign to those in Jesus' day, and it was really not foreign specifically to the Pharisees, to the Sadducees, uh, to the scribes, to the religious rulers, to even the, the tribe of the high priest, the Levitical order. They were, in essence, often looking at material wealth as some form of God's approval. And so they began to equate, in essence, the collection of things, like if I have a bunch of stuff, then God obviously is blessing me. And we have a number of de- uh, denominational bents, if you'd call them. They're actually heretical teaching uh, in our world today to where, in essence, uh, God becomes, in essence, a giant vending machine. And uh, if you're walking with him, you put your uh, spiritual coinage into his celestial vending machine, and God is obligated somehow to make it so that you have new cars and boats and houses and planes and stuff and pretty much anything you want. And Jesus is now going to address this issue in our lives. And, and so tonight I ask you a simple question. And again, Jesus is still on the mount. He's there on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. He's gathered together with his disciples. He's got this multitude and he's teaching on these things that are kingdom things. They're body things. They're disciple things. They're things that we as the church should have a different view than people who don't know the Lord. People who don't know the Lord, you expect them to have a drastic attachment to stuff on this earth because when they think of it, it really is the substance of life. I mean, what purpose is there? If there's no God, if there isn't anything beyond this life, if what you have and what you obtain in this life is all there is, then you would assume that people would seek after the abundance of things. And so Jesus is now going to speak to an issue that is so important for us as we enter in uh, to the Christmas season. And he says, don't lay up for yourself treasure on earth. Would you pray? Father, we, as your people, just simply gathered together tonight to hear your word, Lord, to listen to your voice and pray that I wouldn't get in the way of that, God, that you would speak to us. 
that you'd anoint our time together with your presence in this place. Pray that you would cause us to hear and know and understand what is your good and your perfect will as you expose your word to us. Would we grow as we hear it? Bless the teaching of your word, we pray. We ask these things in the mighty name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Verse 19, Matthew chapter 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. And so you can see that he, he immediately now goes to an applicational teaching uh, of here's how to not handle yourself in the world. And, and now you can imagine that people were thinking at that time, okay, well, what does that mean to me in my, in my real life existence? How do I put this into practice? Where do I apply these truths? I don't want to be hypocritical in anything that I do. And so now he takes something that is actually fairly important to us, something that we do concern ourselves with. Probably most of you in here have a bank account. You probably have cars, homes, places that you go to. You have material things. But we also can get overly focused on those material things. And so Jesus brings truth to an area that troubles us. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust can destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. And then he he says something that often is misinterpreted, but it's very pointed. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And, And as you look at that, it's very important to put it into the context He's not saying if you just simply put treasure someplace that your heart's going to naturally go there. It says where you have already invested your treasure, that's where your heart's at. It applies that singular direction that where you invest your time, your talent, your treasure, the substance of who you are, what you know, what you can do, the, the totality of your person, where you have invested that, That's really your God. That's where your heart's at. You see, we can talk all day long about, you know, well, I don't really love money, or I don't really love things, or I'm not actually in this world after the accumulation of those things. But when you spend all of your time, all of your effort, your energy, your time, your talent, and your treasure, when you put forth most of your effort into the accumulation of stuff, your heart's there. For the lamp of the body is the eye, and if therefore the eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. And so now he illustrates his point. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness, and therefore the light that is in you is darkness. And how great is that darkness? How confused we can be when we have our priorities wrong. When we do something, and because that something is seemingly successful in this world, we can think that God not only has given approval of what we have done, but he's actually blessing it and pushing it forward. Well, naturally, I should be in that relationship. I mean, after all, we went on a date, and it was awesome. Well, of course God wants me to have this car. I mean, I got the loan for it. Surely God wants me to have this much larger house because 
Interest rates are low. God must be blessing me. You have to be careful about how you view the material things in this life. Because you can begin to serve the stuff instead of the creator of the stuff. And then he clenches it, verse 24, for us, and we'll begin to break this down. For no one can serve two masters. And I want you to really look at that word masters because it was attached to the understanding then. It would be a hard thing for us to talk about in our modern society, but it was a very easy thing to talk about then because a vast majority of the people that Jesus would have been uh, in and around and even speaking to were likely slaves to someone they didn't have entry-level jobs. They weren't working for someone. They didn't get a paycheck. They didn't get a, you know, an automatic deposit into their bank account on you know, every other Friday. They were normally servants or slaves to someone else. But that was voluntary. They entered into it because that was the way they had their needs met. And so they only had exactly one master. You could not have two. Because whoever that master was, that you entered in voluntarily into that relationship, you said, I'd rather be in servitude to you and serve you and, and draw my living from you and I want to be under your roof and I want you to take care of us. The agreement would be that you would do that and that person literally had every right to dictate to you what you did with every moment of your time and all of your resources. I was freedom in that oftentimes, but it was a very singular relationship there could only be one master you couldn't have two we think in modern terms well you know i've got two jobs or three jobs or four jobs or five jobs or i go to school part-time and i do this and i do that and i have all these jobs that's not what's being said here this was not like our job world in that sense and so we have to be very careful to keep it in its context he's literally talking about jesus is speaking about mastery who calls the shots for no one can serve two masters. He'll either hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. And then, just so nobody misunderstands what he's saying, he says, referring back to where he started, you cannot serve God and possessions, mammon, money, stuff, junk, things. You can't have money as your master you can have money matter of fact it's a good thing if you do providing that you use it properly and you master it the lord masters it through how you are steward over it not that it drives you how many people in our world how many people in our country are mastered by money possessions things so much so that they don't have time for anything else so much so that they even change the way they think and act towards their fellow human beings, towards even the body of Christ, for the seeking after, the gaining, uh, the multiplying of possessions, money. We're strongly inclined, we're, we're disposed, you might say, to be seeking, acquiring, enjoying, and protecting material possessions. And when you get into that mindset, and that really is where Jesus is going with this, when you get into the mindset, the stuff that you are steward over in this life becomes a goal in and of itself, 
all of a sudden those things that you have collected become the head and not the tail. They're no longer something that you use for the glory of God. They're not possessions that you have treasured up so that you might make the kingdom of God go forward. In other words, you're, you're taking those things and you're using them for godly purposes. They are actually the goal of your life. And all of a sudden you begin to think differently and act differently. And that was the problem with the Pharisees. Leading religionists of the day that Jesus wrote these words, spoke these words, were absolutely preoccupied with things, with stuff. They would have been like some pastors that we unfortunately see today, who take salaries that are inexplicable, who have possessions that are far and above what is needed. They live in opulence and in wealth while the people... A flounder. Then it's very displeasing to God. They were materialistic. They were greedy, covetous. They, they grasped at those things. They hung on to stuff. Matter of fact, they, they began to look at the stuff as if it were more important than the people. They began to use the people and abuse the people and beat the people, treat the people with disdain poll that was taken some years ago in Discipleship Journal. The readers were asked to rank the areas of greatest spiritual challenge to them. Number one at the top of the list here in America was materialism. Pride was number two. Self-centeredness was number three. Laziness, number four. Bitterness and anger was fifth. Tied with sexual lust at a distant fifth. Sixth. The list was rounded out with envy, gluttony, and lying. But at the top of that list was materialism. It was a greater danger to, the, to people's spiritual walk than anything else. Because all of a sudden you've begun to trust in stuff and things. And, and you really don't have a need for the Lord. You, you're not living in any way, shape, or form by faith. And again, be careful because what Jesus did not teach and is not teaching, and nor am I tonight, poverty is not a way to spirituality. Simply being destitute is not what Jesus is saying here. But he is saying that when wealth becomes a hindrance to your walk, you are in trouble. The Pharisees were very much, just as Jesus said, lovers of money. They clung to that. You would have had to grease their wallets to get a nickel out of it. And because of that, they didn't have the right view of themselves. You see, when you view anything else as above the Lord, and if that's a relationship if that's money itself, if that's your position in life, if, that's your, if you view something above the Lord, then that by default is your God. And how many people have sold their relationship to the Lord uh, for a sack of coins that are worth nothing? You see, and if you have that wrong, if you don't have the right view 
of those things, then you're not going to have a right view of your relationship to God. You're not going to have a right view of the Word of God. You're not going to have a right view of morality. You're not going to have a right view of your duty to God. You're not going to have a right view of anything if something else is between you and God. It's supposed to be you, then God. Nothing in the way. When people give those, well, you know, I don't really have time for the Lord. And there are a lot of Christians that will say that. And they live that way. When you talk to them, it's like, oh, you know, I, I go to church when I can, but you know, I'm really busy right now. Busy doing what? You see, false doctrine leads to false standards, false behavior, and false values. If you don't have the proper order of things, if you have hypocritical religion that says, you know, I'm going to live in such and such a manner, then you will have everything else underneath it messed up as well. Very often hypocritical religious views are tied into greed and immorality. Those two things are almost always linked. You can see it in the life of David. You can certainly see it in the lives of the high priest. Annas and Caiaphas, they were more concerned about the accumulation of things and their wealth and their position than they were about whether they were going to murder the king of kings and the lord of lords. Second Peter chapter 2, if you want to turn there, verse 12, it says these things. But these, speaking of those people who have this wrong view, like natural brute beast, made to be caught and destroyed. In other words, God's given uh, animals on this earth uh, for, for us to, to live off of. You may be one of those people that doesn't like that, but that's what scripture plainly declares. Speak evil of the things they do not understand, and they will utterly perish in their own corruption, will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. For there are spots and blemishes carousing in their own deceptions, and while they feast with you, they have eyes full of adultery. They cannot cease from sin. They are unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices. They are accursed children. You see, when your relationship with the Lord is messed up, you have a tough time seeing things correctly. And all of a sudden, you end up in places you're not supposed to be. And so when you let something like greed enter into your heart or enter into your mind, you begin to focus on the material things and you stop focusing on the spiritual things. You get so focused in on that which God has clearly promised that he's going to provide for you. All your needs, he says, he will provide according to his riches and his glory in Christ Jesus. But he hasn't guaranteed he's going to take care of all of our wants. And he certainly hasn't said he's going to give us just tons and tons of excess. He may do that, but he doesn't promise that. And really, if you look back all the way to the Garden uh, Garden of Eden... If you look at Eve's basic problem, her problem was materialism. I want that apple. I don't want what you've given me, God. You've given me everything else, but I want that one. Think about what that cost. 
Think about what happened. A little bit of covetous, a little bit of greed, a little bit of more than healthy desire for things. And the rest, as they say, is, is history. Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, the high priest, had no regard for the things of God, but they had high regard for all that could be gleaned from their father's exalted position as, as the high priest. And scripture says of them in 1 Samuel chapter 2, they are worthless men and they did not know the Lord. Oh, they were rich, but they were worthless men and did not know the Lord. They took more than their prescribed share of the benefit of being a high priest. The high priest, the the family of the high priest, and the priestly class in general was well taken care of. They had no needs. They got to eat of the benefit of what was going on in the temple. They had all of their needs met. Matter of fact, it was illegal for them to work. They were supposed to be taken care of by the goodness of the people that they tended to. But they began to accumulate all kinds of stuff. And before you know it, the stuff's calling the shots. Throughout church history, we've seen people who garnered massive amounts of wealth. Look at the wisest man who ever lived, Solomon, what what that did to him. How perverse his thinking became. How far he took those things. There was not enough to satisfy him. And, And he went down a path that looks as much like a Hollywood tabloid Uh, as anything else. His life unraveled. And before you know it, the the great King Solomon uh, was reduced to something less than he could have ever imagined. You see, people that are materially blessed oftentimes think they're spiritually superior. And it's just simply not true. Some of the most mature and spiritual people I've ever met in my entire life were dirt poor. They could teach teach us, they could minister to every one of us in here through their poverty. What God had done in their life and how they lived their life by faith. Met with the pastor on, on Thursday night. Sitting there from Myanmar, Pastor Papui, and as we were talking to him, he, he and his brother took in 70 orphans into their own home. They have 300 chickens in a lemon grove. And they provide for the needs of those kids by raising chickens and lemons. Sweet, sweet man of God. But wealthy... Probably not one of you in here has less than, or more than he. Less than he. You see, very often blessings are looked at as kind of being contingent on God's goodness. God chooses to bless whom he blesses. And sometimes there's very little reasoning for it, humanly speaking. I've met people who were immensely blessed that you would look at it and go, don't have any idea why God did that. And I've met people who had, without you would think, God would just give them absolutely everything because they could be trusted with it. God does what God does because it's his nature. Proverbs chapter 23 verse 4 says, Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease. 
from your consideration of it. It's pretty plain teaching. <laughs> Don't weary yourself. How many people become weary trying to gain wealth? The next thing, probably all of you know somebody who just cannot keep a job. They've had job after job after job after job, and every time it's the same thing. Well, I should be in a management position. I will usually say something to them, well, seems to me you can't manage yourself. Why would they want you managing anything else? Yeah, it, 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 the accumulation of wealth, the seeking after it has destroyed probably as many lives as about anything else that we could possibly think of in the body of Christ. We're not talking about economic difficulty versus economic prosperity. There are times when politically and militarily and socially and in our climate, all those things have a little bit to do with that. We're just simply talking about people who are possessed with gaining stuff, collecting piles and piles and piles of things, more things than they themselves can use or ever would need. And frankly, it's sin. And Jesus calls it so. He said, don't do it. These problems are brought about by our own acquiring of those things, not by God's lack or any lack on his part. I'm going to give you three things tonight that you can kind of take with you. First, is there only a single treasure in your life? Is there a single treasure in your life? Notice what Jesus says. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust can destroy, where thieves can break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He uses a couple of unique words there. They're Greek words, both of them. Um, Theorizo and, and, and theorazo, they both mean the same thing. They basically mean to line up in order and to count. To store up. It's as if you took stacks of coins and you put them in a row and you said, well, I've got eight of these and nine of those and 60 of those. Uh, it, it means to, 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 to put them together to compare them. And so in essence, what Jesus is saying, don't treasure up for yourself's treasure. Don't look at these things like they're an end unto themselves. Don't look at it as though you've got to make comparison all the time. Don't become, in essence, a wealth hoarder. If God gives you wealth, praise God. If God doesn't give you wealth, praise God. If you have it, great. Use it for his glory. And if you don't have it, use what you do have for his glory. Leave him as master. Wealth in itself is not wrong. It's neutral. It's how you use it. Remember when Jesus was speaking to the rich young ruler, he he kind of said, look, if you're not willing to give these things up, then you're not really willing to be one of my disciples. But he wasn't saying that wealth was bad. He's just saying, look, if the wealth is more important than my kingdom, then you've got the place of wealth incorrect. It's wrong. It has become your God. And now the wealth is going to be what you serve, and that's where your heart's already at. You're concerned with your wealth. You're not concerned with following me. And so he says, don't do it. There has to be a single treasure in your life. Your treasure has to be him. If your treasure is him, then everything else that is a possession, something that you could use, will be in its right priority. 
But if he is not your treasure, then nothing else will satisfy you. You can have all of it. Every bit of it. You can have all that this world has to offer, and it will not be enough stuff. You can never have enough money. I know some of you would like to try, but you can never have enough money. You can't have enough houses. You can't have big enough houses. I was laughing. I went on, on uh, I think it was Zillow or one of those sites, and I was looking at the, a couple of the houses up there. Tom Cruise's house is for sale up on PV. I think it was like $54 million. I'm like, seriously? $54 million. All I can think about is doing the yard work on that house. The painting. How many toilets is that to clean? And all of a sudden it becomes a God, right? Okay, so you you obviously can't do it yourself, so what do you have to do? You have to hire more people. You hire more people to take care of your stuff. And then all of a sudden, well, I've got to make sure that my servants are doing this right. And before you know it, the stuff becomes a full-time occupation itself what Jesus is saying. Be careful because the stuff will become your God. You'll be more concerned with that treasure and that's where your heart will be at. You'll be thinking about it all the time, dwelling on it constantly. You'll be concerned about that. You'll, you'll miss divine opportunity. You'll, you'll miss the opportunity that you have to be used of the Lord because you'll be so concerned. You've got to have Jesus Christ as your treasure. Abraham was extremely rich for his day. He was a person who vied for wealth, influence, military power with with the kings in Canaan. Job was vastly wealthy. So he's not talking about it's wrong. And in fact, God actually increased Job's wealth tenfold when he finally left this earth. So God sometimes does choose to bless people with, with more than they need. But the Bible also counsels us to work hard, Follow good business practices. Matthew 25 reminds us. Proverbs chapter 6 tells us those things. We're told that, that labor is good. We're supposed to till the land if you want to have plenty. Of, there's all kinds of admonitions to do the things necessary to give God the opportunity to, to bless you. But they should not become your God. They need to stay in that category of things that we work with, not work for. Amen? Very huge difference. We work with those things to accomplish God's purposes, but we do not work for them. Ever. 18th century John Wesley, one of the greatest preachers this world's ever seen, had just amassed a considerable amount of wealth just because of the published sermons, the works that he had done. He never set out to make a penny on it. By the time he finally died, he died with 28 British pounds in his bank account. That's about 60 bucks today. It's believed that his fortune over his lifetime at that time, now imagine this is the 18th century, his fortune was in excess of four and a half million dollars. He just gave it away. 
Never worried about it. Always had more than enough. You see, to honestly earn, to honestly save, is to allow you the opportunity to honestly give, not hoard stuff up. It's for us to have the opportunity to bless people. My years in the business world, I worked with a tremendously uh, upper crust clientele for a number of years, included at the time some of the wealthiest people that uh, this world has. Among them, people like Alan Paulson, who owned Gulfstream Aerospace, and Garner Anthony, Cox Cable Vision, and Gene Klein, who at the time owned the Chargers, Margaret Vessels from here in Hollywood Park and Santa Anita. Those are all clients. And I can honestly tell you that not one of them was happy. Ever. Every time I met them, it was another story of how someone had you know, taken advantage of them in some business dealing and they were going to get even. And it was just absolute chaos every time you were around them. Miserable, miserable, miserable people. Now, I'm sure that's not every billionaire on the face of the earth. But in the case of the billionaires that I've known and worked with in my life, it was true of 100% of them. All five of them. You see... Jesus' warning here is to us as ourselves. If we accumulate possessions for our own selves, if we're looking to please ourselves, we're storing up treasure here on earth as opposed to treasure in heaven. And he says that's a, that's a grave trap. The word that Jesus uses here for rust is, is interesting. It's actually a Greek word, brosis. Yeah, and what that means is eating. And it's actually translated that way everywhere else but here in the New Testament. So he uses a word, he uses a word, he says, look, if you store up stuff here, it's going to get eaten up. And that's exactly what happens. It's going to get eaten up. It's going to get eaten up by taxes is going to get eaten up by devaluation. It's going to get eaten up by the stuff of this earth. It's going to get eaten up. When you die, someone else is going to get to keep it anyway. It's going to get eaten up. So why not store up treasure there? Because you're storing up treasure there. Your heart's there. All of a sudden, you're longing to go see your treasure, which is in heaven. Amen? You get the picture? All of a sudden, you're like, okay, I'm going to go see my treasure. It's in heaven. Not I'm going to go see my treasure, which is in Fort Knox. Because if you go to Fort Knox, we don't really know how much gold is there, but I can tell you this, it's not enough to cover all of our paper money. It's not even remotely close. That stuff we carry around our wallets, that is a bucket of rust. It's been eaten up already. You realize that your, your paper dollar that you have in your wallet, you know it's actually worth less than two cents, right? That's the actual value of our paper money. It's less than two cents on a dollar. So it has devalued 98%. It's what we call rust. It's corroded. It's got eaten up. It's because it's attached to this world. So if you're storing up that kind of stuff, you're going to be sorely disappointed when it comes to dividend time. 
he uses the picture here. He says, look, moths can come in and eat it up. And the reason he did that is because during that day and time, very fancy clothes were made of wool. And if you know anything about wool, moths love wool. They're not so big on nylon. If you've got nylon garments, you can store them in your closet, you will not have moths come eat your nylon. It just won't happen. But wool, they like that. So what he's saying is, is all your fancy goods, if you store them for very long, the moths are going to get to them anyway. And pretty soon they're, they're, they're going to be holy, but not the kind of holy that you think of. <laughs> Drop the W. You know? They're going, to be, they're, they're going to be just full of holes. You see, sometimes we start to serve the, the wrong master. And the thieves do break in. And, and that, that word again there is kind of unique in the Greek language because it, it really is saying that the thieves can come in and just dig through it. You see, during that day and time, people had clay walls to their homes. And so if a thief was going to get in, he could literally dig in. He just come to your house, get out an implement, and start to dig through your mud bricks. And pretty soon you can get in there. You, you weren't protecting anything by putting it inside of your house. And so Jesus says, don't store up stuff here on this earth where a thief can just simply dig through the wall and take it from you. Store it up in heaven. They can't get to it there. Amen? He, he's, making, he's making an example of these things and saying, look, put it where it can't be gotten to by the world. And honestly, heavenly security is the only absolute security that we have. Amen? I can't even tell you how many people I've talked to in the last maybe 10 years to where they had been on some career path, some job thing, some business venture, and and turns of events came uh, that they could neither explain nor do a thing about, and all of a sudden this grand plan uh, became nothing. And all that they had hoped and trusted, literally in many cases, what they, they themselves would tell you they were living for all of a sudden was worth zero. Or maybe even less than zero. Maybe, maybe it became a negative number. You see, obsession with possessions is a sign of a troubled soul that lacks faith. Jesus isn't saying if we put treasure in the right place, our heart's going to be in the right place. It's simply saying the location of our treasure is where our heart already is. You're going to invest where your heart is. One of the crazy things about Montana, if you get a chance to travel, you're going to find out that most of the houses in Montana that are really nice are actually not lived in. They're stored up treasure by Californians. People here in California think that they want to live where it's 40 below zero in the dead of winter. Then they spend one winter there, and all of a sudden that mansion that looks so beautiful sitting on the side of the Flathead, flathead Reservoir, uh, not so fun when it's frozen over. You see, they stored up treasure thinking that heaven was in Montana, and they found out heaven's still heaven. Beautiful as it is. Do the same thing. You go online and do a, do a little search and type in vacation rentals for sale. Oh, my goodness. All those people that believe they could, you know, purchase a bit of heaven. Heaven's not for sale, folks. But you can store up treasure in heaven. You just can't buy it. 
Money is a tool to be used by God's people for his glory and for his kingdom. It's not, a, a, it's not an end. Spiritual problems, quite frankly, are always heart problems. They're always heart problems. When you, when you look at me, when you talk to someone, if they've got deep spiritual problems, you're going to find out the root of it. They have some other Lord. That's why when we use the phrase, Jesus Christ is Lord, when we say Christ, we're, we're meaning anointed one, Messiah, Savior. When we say that, we say he is Lord. At the same time, we're actually agreeing with Jesus. Jesus Christ, who is our Savior, is also supposed to be our Lord, our Master. And so where he is, which is heaven, is where you want to store up your treasure. Any revival that's happening in your own heart, your own life, that doesn't affect the way you use money or possessions, uh, to me, I, I think is questionable. If it doesn't change the way you view the stuff in your life, then you have to ask, is it, is it real? You know, if you can isolate your relationship to God with just... A wave of the hand, you know, well, you know, this is my spiritual life and that's my business life. There's a problem. And you're going to find out how deep that is one day. You need to make sure that you're storing up treasure in heaven. God's formula for guaranteeing dividends, you know, we always, I, I'm fascinated by the promises that are made in, in, in advertising and, and media. You know, well, we've got this plan, and it's guaranteed to give you 20% return on your investment. And, you know, if you do this, and you can order this book and order that book, and before you know it, you know, it makes it sound like you give them eight bucks, you're going to be a millionaire next week. You know what I'm saying. You've heard them too. You invest in this, you invest in that, and, you know, you, you buy these coins or buy those coins. And again, nothing wrong with having any of those things, by the way. As long as... They're stored up treasure for heaven and not stored up treasure for here. You see, very often they promise dividends that they cannot make good on. And people get very, very, very disappointed when the truth actually is unveiled. And all of a sudden, well, you know, actually, once you take all the expenses out of it, it's a negative 3%. Well, we got you 20%. But by the time you pay us for taking care of all your stuff, you owe us money. That's the way the world is. Remember who runs this place. This, this world is under the influence of Satan, and his systems are all designed to be against you. They may look good, but they will not produce the results that they claim. You see, our material possessions are, are unrighteous in the sense that they don't have any spiritual value themselves. The only reason that your possessions have any spiritual value is where you use them and what you use them for. A second thing, is there only a single purpose of vision in your life? Is there only a single purpose of vision in your life, are you looking to see the right things is another way to look at it. For if the lamp of the body is the eye, which it is, if therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. And in other words, you have to have the right kind of vision to see things correctly. If you're looking at this world through worldly eyes, then you're going to see it from a worldly position. But if you're looking at this world through heavenly eyes, then you're going to see it with a heavenly vision. And then things will have their correct value. 
But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. You'll, you'll mistake, in other words, darkness for light. You'll see things incorrectly. You, you, you won't get it. You won't understand. You'll be confused. You see the lamp or the lens of the body is the eye. Everything that you see comes through your eyes. And it's the only channel. In other words, you need to be full of light. It, it actually means to be clear or single of vision. To see the way God intends us to see. Not see the way the world wants us to see. Because the world wants us to see things from the world's perspective. The world wants you to believe that you, you need a $855 pre-lit Christmas tree. I, I was, I'm like, does that really say what it says? It's $855 for a pre-lit Christmas tree. What is it, make Christmas presents? It's like you just put it in your living room and all of a sudden it just kind of boop, 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 presents draw. I don't know. For that kind of money, it should do something. You see, but, you know, it promises, well, you'll, you'll have joy. And I even noticed, I, I did not know this, but I guess you can get fragrance sticks now. So you've actually got a plastic tree, but you can hang these fragrance sticks on it, and somehow they, it smells like, you know, real balsam fir. Look, it's still plastic. The enemy wants you to think that all this stuff, all this glitter, all this gold, all the junk, he wants you to think that that's the stuff that you really need to be concerned with. And it's just a distraction. Again, if you have a Christmas tree, I, I like Christmas trees. I actually love Christmas trees. Or Jesus trees. I like ornaments. They, they, tell, me, they tell me how much my, my God loves me. But we can't get so carried away with all these things that we forget who's the giver of the gifts. When we start to serve the gifts. We start to serve the stuff. And pretty soon we're worried about the wrong thing instead of the right thing. So just make sure your vision is clear. Is there a single purpose of vision? Are you trying to see the way God wants you to see? An eye that's bad is, is selfishly indulgent. It's seeing things through the world's lens, through a darkened lens. That's why Paul said we see in a mirror dimly, but then we'll see in face. We'll have our vision cleared up when we finally get home. Amen? We'll see everything. But in the meantime, we ought to be trying to see the way he wants us to see, and that's to see things in their proper perspective. Is there a single master? Is the final point here. Is there a single master in your life? For no one can serve two masters. He uses the Greek word kurios here, kurios. He says, is there more than one master? Because if there is, you have a problem. Because it's an impossibility to serve two of them. Because by default, you can only serve one at a time. So if you're serving one, you're not serving the other. You can't, it's actually impossible to do. And whether that's for 10 minutes or 10 days or 10 years or your entire lifetime, you can only have one master. He says, so you have to have a single master in your life. And again, it's not just an employer. It's literally one who controls exactly who you are, what you do, how you conduct yourself, and all that you possess. By definition, a slave owner had total control of the slave. No such thing as a part-time slave. Well, I, I'm a slave part-time over here, and then I'm a slave over here. And that didn't work that way. If you had a master, you had a master 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 
365 days out of the year. And you pledged allegiance. And so basically that's why he turns the, the attention to he'll either hate the one, love the other, or hold to the one, despise the other. You, you can't do both. And so to wrap this up, to, to think on it in the way that the Lord intended it, I believe, we need to make sure that our possessions do not possess us. We need to make absolutely positive that the things that, that we have control over as stewards on this earth are still actually in God's hands. They're still his. Because to do that is to leave them stored up in heaven. The I, me, and mine doesn't go very far with the Lord in it, and it doesn't store up treasure in heaven. It stores up treasure here. And if you're storing it up here, trust me, it will get rusty and it will get moth-eaten. The only master worthy of following is the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to be able to say with David, I've set the Lord continually before me. I want to say with Caleb, look, I'm 85 years old, but I followed God fully. Make sure Jesus is your treasure and everything else will be fine. You'll have a single treasure. You'll have a single vision. You'll have a single master. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time tonight. And Lord, we just invite you to take control of everything in our lives, especially our possessions. Lord, the things that you so wonderfully graced us with, Lord, they're all yours. They were yours before we had them in our possession and they'll remain yours when we're off this earth and in heaven and so God we pray that as we live our lives on this earth that we be looking to add real treasure in heaven and that is chiefly the souls of those who are saved Lord would everything that we do have the end goal of seeing your kingdom come and your will be done Lord would nothing in our lives be vanity Would nothing be the accumulation of stuff? Would we not ever be tempted as Solomon was to simply build bigger barns? Lord, we not look to increase our stuff, but to increase our giving. Lord, the things that we can do to see the needs of others met. Lord, not our own selves, but the needs of others. And so God, we thank you. Lord, we pray in this season of giving and purchasing and gift giving especially Lord that that we'd really be single in our treasure and single in our vision and very singular who our master is Lord help us to never worship things and stuff God help us to worship you for you alone are worthy of that worship we praise you, we thank you, we bless you, and we ask you, Lord, we, we dare, we dare to ask you, God, please bless us. Help us to have our treasure in the right place because our heart's in the right place. We love you. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.